Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 132 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you and maybe your team lead like never before. Uh, this was a really fascinating conversation, uh, this episode. I had it with Greg Atkinson, and Greg does this thing where he goes and like is a secret shopper at a church. So I, I just want to confess, I thought, you know, this is going to be interesting, but I kind of thought I had it all figured out. Man, could not have been more wrong. Um, in fact, this is the first interview I really couldn't finish in an hour and a bit. And so I've invited Greg back at a future date because... Um, he gave an audit that was so thorough of what you need to look for in your church um, in terms of like being welcoming to outsiders that we barely got in the door of the main worship service before the hour was up. And you're going to be like, really? You spent that much time on like the parking lot and like the reception? I, I, I just found this fascinating and took a lot of notes and I hope you'll enjoy it too. So that's our guest this week. It's Greg Atkinson and he's going to help us think through how a um, visitor really experiences your site, the secrets of a secret church shopper. So anyway, that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, hey, I just want you to know, have you guys yet registered for Rethink Leadership? It is this big, massive event. Well, actually, it's not. I want to say big, massive event. Isn't that what we leaders always say? No, actually, it's kind of a smaller event. It's for 500 people or less, and we are almost sold out. And we would love for you to get in on it before it's too late, because we are going to get together some of the best leaders in the country. You can just go to RethinkLeadership.com and see the list of speakers. We have everybody from Bob Goff to Danielle Strickland to John Acuff, Reggie Joyner, myself, Brad Lominick. We have Les McEwen, remember him, on predictable success and the life cycles of a church. And, oh, many, many others. Carlos Whitaker is going to be there. It's going to be exceptional. And really, we want to connect with you. We're going to have some incredible affinity conversations, which are just smaller, where you can connect with some speakers. And um, you're going to be seated around tables where you'll be able to connect with each other. And uh, this is the second time we're doing it. And we just had uh, lots of incredible feedback to year one. And so if you haven't been in on it, we would love to invite you. And if you're a senior pastor, campus pastor, executive pastor, you are invited. And if you were there last year, um, hey, make sure you get in on year two. It's all new content, all new content. And of course, <laughs> the relationships are worth the price of admission alone. So drop by RethinkLeadership.com before it's too late. And for everybody who's ever tried to train their church staff, <laughs> you've got to go check out trainedup.org if you haven't done it already or if you're not using it. Large churches are using it, small churches, mid-sized churches. They got a, a budget that will fit you. And here's the idea. Rather than trying to gather everybody in the same room at the same time for uh, training, say, your guest services team or your kids ministry people or your small group leaders, which is almost impossible, right? I mean, how do you get 50 people, 20 people, 10 people, 100 people in the same room at the same time to train them? Almost impossible. Trained Up actually helps you train them virtually. It's your content delivered through Trained Up to your team. And you actually have a shot using Trained Up at actually getting 100% of your volunteers completely trained and ready to go. Not only that, but I mean, here's what happens, right? You train your volunteers briefly and it's like, okay, we got a lot of people in the room, but then you recruited five more next month and two more volunteers a month after. Well, how do you train them? Again, if you deliver your content online, it works incredibly well. So just head on over to trainedup.org and make sure you check out what they offer because I really think it's going to help your church grow. So got to let you know about one more really exciting thing. And that is uh, during this interview, you're going to hear Greg Atkinson uh, talk about a church welcome card. And so uh, I asked him, kind of put him on the spot and said, so can you like provide <laughs> the best sample ever? of what you think should be on a church welcome card, you know, the kind that first-time visitors uh, send in. And, and guess what he did? He created one just for you. So we always have show notes, but you're probably going to want to especially go over to them right now, and you can find them at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 132. And Greg has generously and for free shared what he thinks is the ideal welcome card. Now, you can brand it alike. It's basically just what is the data you should be capturing 
And so this is based on his information uh, that he's collected from literally visiting hundreds of churches. And you can find that at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 132, or just go to leadlikeneverbefore.com and search around and, and you'll find it there. So that's what you will find. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Greg Atkinson on secret church shopping. Well, I'm thrilled to have Greg Atkinson on the podcast this week. Greg, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Hey, uh, really excited. Give us a little bit of a background on how you got into doing this secret church shopper stuff, because you've been on staff at a church as a campus pastor. You've been um, involved in the church space for a while, but how did you seize on this? Well, I, uh, I've served as a pastor for a couple of decades in church ministry, and I started out as a worship pastor, so a strong pulse on worship and creative ministry. And then the last uh, maybe eight years serving as a campus pastor at a multi-site church. But I was uh, in between churches at one point, and I was coaching uh, church planners through ARC. And oh, yeah. uh, Billy Hornsby, who was the president of ARC, uh, kind of mentored me. We spent a lot of time together. Uh, I have a new book that I dedicated to Billy. Uh, he was just a huge influence in my life. And he, uh, we were sitting in a hotel lobby one day and he just looked across at me and said, Greg, you need to be a secret shopper. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I think you would be a good secret shopper. And, uh, he said, and I'll write you your first endorsement. And so he wrote me an endorsement. He emailed the whole ARC database and said, uh, you need to hire Greg to be a secret shopper for your church. And people started contacting me, and the rest is history. But it all goes back to Billy Hornsby. Isn't that interesting? How long ago was that? Because Billy died a few years ago. Yeah, that was about nine years ago. Wow. Wow. So you've been doing, and what do you mean by secret shopper? Just for somebody, I mean, we probably all have an image or an idea of what it means. But what does that term mean to you and to the churches that have utilized that? Some people call it a mystery guest. Some call it a mystery worshiper. Some people are familiar with the term secret shopper. Obviously, in the business world, there's a lot of secret shoppers. I've also secret shopped restaurants and hotels and things like that. But in the church realm, it is uh, somebody like myself that comes in with a pretty trained eye and just observes things as a guest. Mm. Uh, Observation is key. But uh, there are companies out there that just hire random people to come in and write down observations. I'm a little different just because I've been doing it for so long. I know what to look for and I know what surprises me. I know what confuses me. I just I come in as somebody who has never been at that church before and uh, write about my observation as a guest and write a report for the churches uh, evaluating just about everything they do on a weekend experience. See, that's fascinating to me. So how did you figure out the criteria for this? Like, how did you, when you were starting out, I'm sure it's evolved over the nine years, but like, did you study what Target secret shoppers would do or Home Depot's secret shoppers would do or Walmart secret shoppers would do? Because you're right. I think we all basically know Every store has secret shoppers where you go in and basically it's an audit, right? An audit through the lens of a customer. What's the customer experience like? So how did you figure that out? Like what would you even, how would you even know what to look for other than your own personal preferences? I did a lot of research. Uh, I did work with some companies in the hospitality industry. Like I mentioned, restaurants, hotels. I I looked for some generic questions that just kind of go across the board of how you greet people, how you make them feel welcome, how you make them feel at home. I interviewed friends that are not Christians. I interviewed de-churched people that are fed up with church and don't want to go anymore. I interviewed pastors. I did a lot of reading, a lot of research. I've read your blog over the years. I've done a lot of behind-the-scenes work on what does it mean to be hospitable? What does it mean to um, to help somebody feel, uh, at ease. And so, um, it's just, and I will say it has evolved over the years. Uh, 
the people, I always joke, uh, I feel like the people in the early years got gypped um, because my reporting now is radically different than the early years. <laughs> it is, it has really come a long way. Uh, there's a very, very detailed report that I go over with the senior leadership of the church, but um, I have learned over the years, you know, I've read books on it. I'm not the first secret shopper, obviously. Oh, sure. I've, uh, I've talked with other secret shoppers. I've read uh, things like the five-star book. I've looked at what other people use as their evaluation. Mine is greatly deeper and more uh, detailed, but, um, but I have learned from many others. Uh, I've had secret shoppers, church secret shoppers call me up and pick my brain. I've picked their brain. No, that's good. I mean, that's a solid methodology. It's re it's more than just, oh, I like this or I didn't like that, which is sometimes how I think the popular notion of what a secret shopper would be. And I think every pastor, or every church leader has been in the place where you're feeding through newcomer feedback and there seem to be competing demands in there too, right? Somebody thought the music was too loud. Well, you never hear it was too quiet. I guess maybe theoretically <laughs> you do, but you know, some people thought it was too um, aggressive. Some people thought it was too soft, What whatever. And so you have these competing demands. Another question about methodology, and then we're going to break down what people look for and, and some of your key findings, because we really want this to help church leaders in figuring out, gosh, okay, well, without you coming to our church, you can tell me some things that we may be doing well or maybe doing poorly that could help us make changes even as early as this weekend. So one of my big questions was, you know, when, when you're thinking about what works or what doesn't work, do you look through the lens of like, let's say, a Christian who's moving into a new community? So you're in Charlotte, somebody who moved from Atlanta to Charlotte, just looking for a new church, a Christian, that's sort of one category. Another would be an unchurched or dechurched person. They could be two separate categories. And the third would be, you know, the kind that I fear, the serial church shoppers. This is church number 18 in the last six months, right? right <laughs> Not right. quite, but, you know, in the last five years, I've, I've been to five different churches and you're next on my list. Like, what criteria? Do they see things through different lenses or, like, how does that work? Because I would think a church shopper would look through a different lens than maybe an unchurched or a dechurched person would. How does that work? As far as myself, I look through all lenses, uh, hmm. unch unchurched, dechurched, churched. Uh, but one of the things I have found over the years is uh, excellence transcends. You know, you you Me mentioned too. you mentioned earlier uh, about preferences. Yes, I have my preference. I'm uh, I'm plugged into a modern worship church with uh, a modern style, substance, uh, small group-based ministry, uh, vibrant children's ministry, uh, modern worship music. Um, but when I evaluate a church, I look for excellence. Sure. Uh, I have worked with the most traditional of traditional churches. Um, I have worked with acapella churches and the mm. Church of Christ. I worked with First Baptist Dallas, which is very, very traditional. Uh, but excellence transcends. So I, I try to come in with a blank slate of this may not be my cup of tea, but are they doing it well? Are they doing it in a way where they remove roadblocks? And so whether I'm a Christian moving to a city and looking for a new church home, I'm still I'm still going to want to be welcomed and loved and accepted. And if I'm an unchurched or dechurched person, I'm going to want to be welcomed and loved and accepted. Um now, they do look for different things, but I try to look through each lens. Um, I also ask for feedback. There's a lot of things I do on the report that people don't know until they get it, and they're surprised. Uh, I talk to people in the community. Um, I do a, a lot of things behind the scenes to kind of get a pulse of what that church means in the community. Um, but there are a lot of lenses. I don't really deal with the serial shopper. Um, yeah. That's that's the unpleasable I, cereal shopper. Yeah, you yeah. just stay away from them. Yeah, that's not that's I'm not something you. I spend a lot of time on. Nor do I think church leaders should. I mean, those people are unpleasable. I really, I really think so. So this is good to know, and that's encouraging because it's model independent. You're saying you can be traditional, you can be contemporary, you can be, you know, this, you can be charismatic, non-charismatic, etc. 
But yep. there are certain things that transcend. And you can argue all day long whether one model is more effective than the other. But at the end of the day, if you're going to be the best version of traditional church or the best version of a more contemporary church or the best version of whatever kind of church you do, there are things you can do well or poorly within all the models. Okay. Um, what are some differences, broadly speaking, between what a church person would look for and what an unchurched person would look for? I think a, a church person, the way they view a church website is through a little different lens. For example, mm-hmm. they, they may spend more time on the beliefs page, or yes. if, if your church has a history page of how did this church get started, uh, an unchurched person, uh, I don't think they're going to spend a lot of time on the beliefs page or the history page. But I do believe they care about the vision of the church. I believe they want to know what the church's mission is. I believe um, they are looking for, and this is something I'm a big proponent of, the church website having a I'm new button mm-hmm. or a first visit button or a um, what to expect button and uh, click on that and then take them to a page that kind of puts them at ease and says, you know, on your first visit, you'll find a uh, first-time guest parking. Somebody will greet you there. They'll walk you in, um, introduce you to somebody at the welcome desk, and uh, they will get you where you need to go as far as children's check-in and things like that. They'll show you where the auditorium is. They'll, you know, and kind of explain, you know, we're going to have, you know, 15 minutes of music. Then you'll hear a 30-minute biblical message. Right. Uh, that is relevant. And then um, uh, we have children's programs going on for you. Something that just kind of puts them at ease of here's what it's like. You know, we we live we live in a world where it, it blows somebody like my parents mind. But there are people that have never darkened the door of a church mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like they they don't know if we're a cult. They They don't know anything about us. And uh, whatever we can do to say, look, there's going to be some music. Uh, you know, if you're a multi-site, you're going to see a pastor on a video screen, um, just something that gives them a heads up of here's what's going to happen. Uh, somebody church is going to understand that. So it goes without saying. Yeah. And let me, that, I want to ask this, and this is such an elementary question, but just to be a hundred percent clear, why is that important? And I think you've already half explained that, but like for somebody going, really, you need that level of like detail. I agree with you, but why, just to underscore for all of us, why is that so critical if you're really hoping to reach people? Uh, let me think. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, uh, I think the unchurched person, if they are showing up, that means God's at work. God's at work. And um, I think of the, uh, the Henry Blackaby concept of experiencing God, that God is at work behind the scenes, join God where he's at work. Mm. And if uh, there was a book on the Holy Spirit by Charles Spurgeon many years ago where he said, if somebody asks a spiritual question, that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is already at work and mm. that we should, be, we should be sensitive to that. So if somebody is viewing a church website and they are totally unchurched, lost as can be, but they are looking at your website, that means they are uh, somehow the Holy Spirit has pique their interest. Somehow God is at work, could be circumstances, could be a tragedy in a family, could be a divorce, could be the loss of a child. God, something has happened and they are seeking God. They are seeking Christ. They are seeking uh, help. And so if we can uh, kind of, I'm all about removing barriers and roadblocks, which I learned from Andy Stanley, uh, doing whatever we can to make it easy for people to come to church, to be welcome, to get plugged in, to find out about God, to uh, begin that relationship with Jesus. Um, Nelson Searcy in his book Fusion talks about uh, if somebody, if a first-time guest turns into a second-time guest, they are 80% more likely to get plugged in yeah. and eventually begin a relationship with Christ. And so to me, it's all about turning first-time guests into second-time guests. And I back up from there. They will never be a first-time guest if they don't feel welcome on the website and see uh, an easy path into this intimidating thing of visiting a local church. 
Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. And you know what? We weren't planning on going there in the in the prescripted questions, but I think you're right. Nine times out of ten, the very first encounter that somebody has with a church these days is not the parking lot. It's not the lobby. It's the website. I mean, you think about it. How how many places for every listener of this podcast? You know, have you ever gone to a resort or like to Disney World without checking it out online first? Of course you haven't. No, even restaurants. I mean, I'm always checking out restaurants unless it's a very trusted friend who says, just go there. But usually I'm going right. to check them out first online. You know, let me ask you this, because we redid our website just under a year ago. And the challenge for me was I was surprised, but consistently year after year, um, you, your, your Google Analytics will tell you what people look at staff page was like one of the top requested. There was sort of the homepage messages like watch or listen or whatever your tab is. Number three, again and again, again, staff. Is that weird? Is that just us? Or is that like people are looking to see who you are? Like, how does, how does that work? That's everybody. I'm really big on that. It's in every report I do for a church. Um, there was a magazine, Clyde magazine years ago, uh, that uh, Worship House Media and Uniter Media had put out. They did a survey and a study, and the number one most visited page on a website was the staff page. And I, I quote that article in every report I do. Some people don't put any thought into their church staff page. Uh, I'm really big on having pictures of the staff. They want to know what the pastor looks like. Yeah. They want to know what the children's minister looks like. They want to know what the worship leader looks like. And uh, I like to have access to their email address. I even like when they do some little mini bios. Churches do those in very different ways. Some are very professional, uh, depending on the church and their culture and their background. And, you know, you have some churches where all the staff, you know, seems like they all have PhDs. And so their bios look a little bit differently. (laughs) And and then you have uh, some staff's cute bios where says something funny about them or interesting fact. Loves Chick-fil-A and football. Right, right, right. Some kind of interesting fact about them, their favorite movie, their favorite book, uh, favorite music. But something that, you know, one of the reasons years ago uh, I wrote the forward for Facebook for Pastors and I talked about breaking down that clergy laity wall where you just see that pastors are real people. Mm. Uh, One of the things I used to love about some pastors I followed on social media is that they would say something as simple as, I'm going out to cut the grass, or I'm taking my son to a baseball game, or I'm at my, I'm at my daughter's dance recital. I think just seeing that they are a real person, you know, we're not the Pope. We're a real mm-hmm. person with a real family, real struggles, real life, uh, real issues. And um, being able to get a little glimpse into your personality through a, a staff page and a bio and, you know, my favorite football team are the Georgia Bulldogs. That's not my team, but I'm saying yeah. I've seen that with pastors. Um, you know, I'm an Alabama fan or, you know, whatever your church area may be. Uh, just to get a little glimpse into them as a person, uh, I think would make people feel a little more at ease, which is my whole goal. I want to turn first-time guests and a second-time guest, but in order to get them to become a first-time guest, they have got to be intrigued by the church website, which, as you said, they check first. Yeah. And would you say, I mean, I said that as a, as a fact. I mean, I'm basing it on my perception. Would you say that the vast majority of visits start on the website rather than the front door these days? Uh, well, in my reporting, uh, one of the things I talk about is I, I do an overall umbrella of what I call online presence. Right. Uh, meaning in uh, social media as well as website. I think most people interact with your church first via social media, sure. and sec- second would be the website. But uh, you can also see the human side of people through Facebook. Yeah. You can see people through Instagram and through how they post. Uh, I think that is a true first door. And then something like Instagram or Twitter or Facebook can lead you to check out their church website which I do believe they will check out before they come in person. Right, And most yeah. people start there. Most people start online before they show up in real life. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, okay. Well, that's really good. Let's, let's take it a little bit further. Any other regional variations? Like some people would say, well, how can you possibly evaluate my church? Because, you know, we're inner city or we're city church. We're not a suburban church or we're country church. We're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, 
What what would you say to that? Are there regional variations? There are. Uh, there are some things that are universal. Like I said, excellence transcends. Mm. But um, there are some things that are unique to an area, to a, to a city, uh, to a, a location, uh, demographic. But I, in my 22, next, next month, February, will be 23-year career in ministry. I've had the opportunity to serve a rural country church and a city church and a suburban church. And so I, I've got a little taste and a little feel for each of those. I've served contemporary churches, blended churches, uh, traditional churches. And so I have, I've served non-denominational churches and Baptist yeah. churches. I have a, I have a little flavor of, uh, what, what each feels like. Uh, I will say if you go to a rural, uh, country church, they tend to be a little more family oriented, a right. little more, uh, into community and relationships. And I think that's a beautiful thing. What I mean by that is when you walk in, everybody knows you're a guest. You stand out because um, there's this feeling of, I've never seen that person before. I want to go get to know them. I want to introduce myself to them. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're a church of 25 people. Uh, yeah. You know, I have been to churches where I walk in and it's obvious I'm the guest. I'm <laughs> the, the mystery visitor. shopper. No mystery here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now they, yeah, they may not know that I'm doing a, a, a secret shopper, but they know I'm a guest yeah. and they recognize me and they come over and introduce themselves. Whereas if I go into a church of 10,000, you know, I'm not noticed. Now, hopefully I'm welcome. Hopefully I am um, served well, but uh, yeah, but you might not, be one of a hundred brand new people. That absolutely. So yeah. it's not it's not obvious. But most of the principles would translate, right? It's not like, well, we're so unique that nothing applies because human beings are human beings. Is that what you've found? It is. And hospitality, which is biblical, is hospitality. Um, people, right. doesn't matter if you go to a restaurant chain or a mom and pop uh, local restaurant that there's only one in the world. Uh, people want to be served well. They want to be take, taken care of. And so, uh, like I said, excellence transcends, hospitality transcends. Um, serving and loving others well is uh, desired across the spectrum. Mm, yeah, I think that's really good. And, and, uh, and that sort of leads into my next question, which is how does this not just play into consumerism? But what you're talking about seems to suggest that, no, this is different than consumerism, give the people what they want. This is about just being gracious hosts and welcoming people on their faith journey, etc. Do you want to say anything more about that? Like how this is different from consumerism? I, I would, because I get asked that a lot. And sometimes secret shoppers take some unfair criticism I mentioned I have a new book called Secrets of a Secret Shopper, and I don't want people to think that that book is about um, anything consumeristic. It is about serving others well, loving others well, welcoming others, hospitality. You know, I did a study, and it's in the introduction chapter of the book. I did a study on hospitality in the Bible, and from the Old Testament, welcoming the stranger to the New Testament, um, being hospitable. Uh, Old to New Testament, we are told to be hospitable, be hospitable, welcome the stranger, welcome the newcomer. And, uh, you know, I I was saying on uh, another podcast recently that in in Titus and in Timothy, when it lists the qualifications of an elder, hospitality is one of them. Mm -hmm. It is something it is something thoroughly biblical. Uh, I don't see it as consumeristic at all. I see us having a biblical mandate of being hospitable to others and welcoming the stranger, welcoming the newcomer. So that's great. So let's go there. What what are two or three characteristics of great hospitality for any church? Like, what are some things you should do and what are some things you should completely avoid if you want to be good at hospitality? I think meeting and exceeding expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say there's no one size fits all. As you mentioned earlier, I've worked with all denominations, all right. sizes, from church plants to First Baptist, First Methodist, whatever. It doesn't matter the age, the size, the denomination, but meeting and exceeding expectations, removing roadblocks and barriers, allowing people to have the best experience possible. Uh, as, as it has been well documented, the first 10 minutes are critical. Right. Um, so let, let's go there. So in terms of meeting or exceeding expectations, which specific expectations would you need to meet or exceed? Like what 
or to put it a different way, <clears throat> when the average person is walking in, let's pick unchurched. That's my bias. Church people, they're going to heaven anyway. Um, so an unchurched <laughs> person walks in. What what are the expectations they have? Some would say they're very low. They expect people to be horrible, <laughs> you know. So it's not hard to meet expectations. What what do you need to meet or exceed if you're going to help an unchurched person connect? That's where I go back to the biblical mandate of hospitality. Um, I I often uh, will give the uh, analogy of when we have company over to our house. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to prepare for company. You have to vacuum put away the laundry, clean the house. Um, sometimes we'll light a candle and have a pleasant smell in the, in the, in the house. Um, we want to exceed somebody's expectations. So they walk in and they, they think they're just coming over to talk for a little bit. And we have snacks and appetizers or desserts, something that just wows them and blows them away. Uh, Mark Waltz has done a lot of research and uh, study into this and his books talking about wowing guests. Uh, and that's what I mean by exceeding expectations. Like you said, an unchurched person has very low expectations. So I think just the very thought that we have thought through that this is somebody's first time at our church, mm. this is somebody's uh, first time coming to church, and we want to make it as friendly and welcoming, and we want to be as hospitable as we can be, uh, really surprises people. When a, when a guest drives into a church parking lot and there are people out there in those red or yellow or green neon vests and they're directing traffic, it kind of blows their mind in a good way of, oh my gosh, they're expecting guests to come. They're expecting people. They are welcoming. They are pointing me to the auditorium. I have been to churches where I couldn't even find the worship center. Right. It was such, such a massive campus. It was so easy to get lost that I'm just looking for somebody to point me in the right direction so that I can not miss the service. And I imagine that would happen in a small church, too, where the opposite is true. It's very clear there's one door to get in, but you're wondering, man, this looks so small. There's 14 cars. Like, am I crashing someone's party? And that's where it's really nice to have somebody to say, hey, we're so glad to have you today, right? As opposed to feeling like you're barging in on a private ceremony or a wedding that you weren't invited to. Absolutely. You, yeah. you don't, you don't want to be, uh, have your back turned on where everybody there is upset that it's us four and no more and you're breaking up their huddle. Yeah. Uh, you want to, you want to be welcomed graciously of we are so glad you're here. A lot of churches will have like a potluck dinner after church and they'll say, would you stay and have lunch with us? Uh, we would love to get to know you more. A lot of churches, I've seen uh, lead, uh, lead volunteers and servants that will take the extra step of when they meet somebody, they'll say, can I take you to lunch after church? Wow. And that's next level when your volunteers and leaders are taking the initiative to say, hey, can I go buy you a cup of coffee? Can I take you to lunch and get to know you better? We're so glad you came. And uh, it blows me away when I see leaders in our church do that. Now, there has been a school of thought. I think this is so helpful, Greg, but there's been a school of thought over the years that says, you know, if somebody is really coming for the first time and they're unchurched or they're skeptical or whatever, that you can kind of smother them. Would you say most unchurched people would be open to an invitation like that by somebody they hadn't met? Or like, how, how does that work? Is that too much on, on meeting one? Or you think, no, you know, actually in an age where people want more connection, that would be a great thing to try. Like, how, how does that work? What's your take on that? My take, uh, as I barely uh, just briefly touched on earlier, is there's no one size fits all. And I I talk about a lot in my writing and in my consulting of reading body language. Yes. uh, Being being able to read some. I'm a hugger. I like to hug people. Right. So as as a pastor, when people walked in, I would give them a hug. I would always do that Baptist side hug, you know, Mm -hmm. but I would I would I would hug people. And I can, I can look at somebody and tell they don't want to be touched. They don't want yeah. to be hugged. And so I have been at churches, some very well-known churches that I could tell you, and you would know them in a heartbeat, you would know their pastor, where I was smothered. And it was too many hands to shake, too many greeters, too many barriers in the way of getting in the door. 
And so I don't want that. Uh, I think so you, you can smother do. people like even ritually Absolutely. through having too many welcome people, too many greeters, too many ushers, too many parking lot people. It can go over the top, even for someone who's a warm relational person like you. Yeah. I mean, you can have people that are so friendly, they're suspicious. You know, you, yeah. you kind of you kind of creeped out by it of they're 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 too friendly. They're too they're smiling too much, you know, but uh, I think just reading body language, realizing there are some people, uh, every, every person is different. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. That's the beauty of the way God has created us. Some people will leave a church and say, nobody talk to me. I'm upset. Mm-hmm. Some people will, will go to a church and they're thinking, please don't talk to me. Please don't talk to me. Please don't talk yeah, to me. Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> they, they just want to hide. Yeah, there's introverts, there's extroverts, there's people that just want to sit down. And I know when, uh, when I left, uh, church staff and, uh, became a full-time consultant and writing and coaching and doing what I'm doing now. Uh, and I went to our new home church. I just wanted to sit down and nobody know who I was, mm-hmm. you know, just be kind of, uh, anonymous and just sit there and nobody know, Hey, you're a pastor. You should be up on stage speaking. I just wanted to sit and worship and be served and loved on. And then eventually I began, I began to serve and the lead and the help but uh, there was a season where I just wanted to sit and be ministered to. And yeah. um, I think I think we all have different expectations. I think we all have different perspectives and points of view. But um, yeah. the general rule would be to be hospitable. Gotcha. We have this rule that, you know, I've kind of informally had at Connexus. Greet others as they want to be greeted. Not as That's you it. would greet them, because the hugger wants to hug everybody whether the person wants to be hugged. You know, the handshaker or the standoffish person says, nobody wants to be hugged. Well, that's not true. But to kind of read that body language, you you hinted at something that I thought was really good, Greg. You said, you know, you've been smothered even at very large churches. Where's the line? Like, what what is that? Because you've got, you've got, I'm sure, some leaders alarmed right now going, gosh, if we cross that line? Like, I think the minimalists can go, okay, we could up this and be a little bit warmer. But how do you know when, like... Is there an easy way to define that line of like how much is too much? Like, is it two points of contact on the way in? Somebody in the parking lot, someone at the door? Um, like, what? What is? Is there some kind of how? Do, how do you figure that out? I do think that's a good uh, thought. Two points of contact: somebody in the parking lot, somebody at the door. I wouldn't use it as a rule, but I do think it's a good thought, a good principle. Okay. Um, there are times where. Like, for example, this church I'm thinking of, this uh, very, very large church, I had to shake maybe 10 hands to get inside the first door, and it was just a little overwhelming. And, that's and they're all me. saying the same thing. Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Yeah. Kind of like, hey, good morning. Good to see you. And I'm a, I'm a church person. You know, I'm a pastor. <laughs> yeah. if, if anybody should feel comfortable, it'd be me. But um, I think, I think uh, meeting somebody in the parking lot is huge. It is right. huge. And I have had people, I, I'm a real big uh, proponent of teams and the buddy system, meaning that you can greet somebody in the parking lot and walk them into the into the church building, and there are still others left in the parking lot to greet others. Right, so you're and not I've abandoning had, your post. You're not abandoning your post. I've, I've had people that would say, Hi, I'm Greg. Um, let, me, let me walk you inside, and I see you have kids. Let me, let me show you how to get them checked in. And they walk you from A to B to Z and get you get you all the way into the door. But I think um, I think there is a line that could be crossed. I think there is too much. Um, one of the things that I have seen recently, I do this every weekend. I sit there on Sunday afternoon and I I just scroll through Instagram and mm-hmm. I see pictures of churches all around North America and what they're doing. And I've seen. Um, uh, various examples of first impressions and guest services and hospitality. And what the one that I see a lot by some churches that really, really get it that I love is people holding the signs. And there are signs that say stuff like, we're so glad you're here or welcome. Or there's some, depending on their personality, some said, you look great today. Or, you know, they're, they're holding these different, really nice design, great topography really well done signs. And they're just standing on the side with a big smile saying, welcome, we're glad you're here. But you don't have to shake their hand. They, they don't rush you. They don't, they don't approach into your personal space. Now, there are greeters that you can shake hands with, but these are just some smiley, friendly faces standing on the side. 
I would also say uh, one thing I'm a, a big believer in is multi-generational serving. Yeah. Uh, teenagers can be great standing on the side, mm-hmm. holding the sign. Uh, teenagers can be great greeters. Um, I, I think it's great to have people of all ages serving. No, those are, those are good points. Okay, let's get um, practical. What else are, uh, well, not that this hasn't been practical, it's been very practical, but let's get um, specific. So somebody in the parking lot, ideally somebody who will walk you through on your first time and go, let me show you where, um, you know, you can register your kids and I'll show you where the worship auditorium is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what are, so you mentioned way back, and this was super helpful, a clean facility, which gets overlooked so often. I go to a lot of different churches and it's like, when was the last time this was vacuumed? Or, you know, the paint is almost yellowed or, uh, you know, the carpet hasn't been cleaned in ages and it just feels dingy. And, and even things like odor and scent, right? I mean, we do the same thing. We light a candle before people come over or, you know, put some essential oils on or whatever. And um, just you want to put your best foot forward, but we forget that in church world, don't we? We do. We do. I think uh, pastors are the worst, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean they are so familiar with their building that they take for granted something like the sense of smell, which is the strongest of all senses and and has the strongest long-term memory. Uh, I can walk into a church and smell something and think this reminds me of the funeral home where my grandfather was. Yes. I can, I can have a greeter walk by, catch a whiff of her perfume and think that was the perfume that the first girl I ever dated wore or mm-hmm. my third grade math teacher wore. You know, you are instantly transported back in time. I've said before, bleach and mold, you know, are bad smells. Yep. Citrus, coffee, those are good smells. Um, since the sense of smell is huge. Uh, I have a whole chapter in my book just on the sense of smell. Uh, clean wow. facilities are huge. Vacuuming. Yeah, toilets. Like nobody wants a dirty toilet. Absolutely. Nobody wants to get into a bathroom stall and have two sheets of toilet paper left. <laughs> yeah. And nobody, nobody thought to refill the toilet paper dispenser. Um, that is a horrible first impression. And who's looking at that at 6 a.m. on a Sunday, right? You might think, well, you know, we did that Thursday before the staff took a day off, but maybe you had a youth group in, or maybe you had other people in, or some community group in, and you've got a reset for Sunday, right? And you, in the same way, you want your sinks to be clean, and uh, it's that idea that hopefully even in a bathroom you can eat off the floor, <laughs> right? Not that you ever would, but... You want that impression. And think about it, on your vacations, right? You, you got me on a passion point here. I mean, there have been times where we're on a family vacation and we stop at a gas station to use the restroom and we drive to the next one because it's a horror show. And, yeah. you know, people are going to have that kind of response, just a human response to your facility, at least in the developed world. Absolutely. Uh, we were at a uh, entertainment facility the other night. I don't know if you've heard of these experiences of people doing the escape room uh, all over. No, it, it's all, no. all over the world. It's it's wow. when they they lock you in a room and you have to follow clues to find your way out, and you get you get locked in for an hour. And we we escaped with six minutes left on the clock. But uh, a friend of mine right now is in Seoul, Korea, and he just did an escape room in Seoul. So it's all over the world. <laughs> but we did one in Charlotte, and as we were waiting, I went to the restroom, and it was so clean. Like this is this is a place that. Uh, and the Halloween season has haunted houses. Right. They have 3D mini golf. They have pool tables, arcade. And I was not expecting a nice restroom. And I went in there and it was just pristine, just perfect. Mm. And so I went out to the front where you pay. And I said, guys, I just want to commend you. You have an amazing restroom. Like it is, it is awesome. Keep that up. And uh, I think consistency is the key. If you let it go too long, it's going to be intimidating to tackle if you keep it clean every day, every week, oh yeah, uh, it doesn't build up too much. It's the same principle with gas stations. Um, some of them, you know, go months without touching it. But uh, somebody has to own that in the local church. And I have been a big believer for years in Ephesians four ministry and equipping the saints. Uh, it may not have to be the lead pastor. Uh, now I better not on, be. Yeah. Well, but I have been on staffs before. Um, and have heard people say, I have clean toilets. And we all want to have that kind of um, 
heart where it's like nothing is is below me. Right. If I if I need to clean the toilets, I'll clean the toilets. But as term in terms of good leadership, we shouldn't be the ones doing that. No, I agree. And I mean, I've cleaned toilets too, both at home and at church. But if that's what I'm doing on a Sunday morning, I have misled my staff and mid-last let misled volunteers. I agree with that. And just, you know, I think I think little things like that, you think, well, that's not spiritual at all, but that is part of hospitality in our culture. My wife will judge a restaurant based on the quality of the bathrooms, and she'll say if it was, you know, if the bathroom is dirty, I don't know whether I can trust the kitchen is any cleaner. She makes a direct connection between the state yes. of the washrooms and the state of the kitchen. And sometimes we won't go back to a restaurant because of uh, uh, the bathroom. And so do, I, I think the point, Greg, is this. Don't make assumptions that somehow your church is exempt from that kind of analysis, right? So right. Let, what, are, what are some other keys? What are other things that people are looking for? Obviously, that would translate to kid space. Is it safe? Is it secure? Is it clean? If you're going to leave your 18-month-old crawling around on the floor, um, yep. you want to know that it's it's okay and it's clean and it's safe. What are some other things in the mind of a first timer as, as when they go through your church on day one? Uh, kids ministry is huge. You know, I have I've written a lot in the past about clean, safe, and secure. And I just just run through those three real quick. Clean, safe, and secure is huge, but also the uh, check-in process. I have been yeah. Let's talk about churches. that. I've been to churches where they have a huge bottleneck, and it is very intimidating to get through the process of a first-time guest registering their child. And so one of the things that I'm a big proponent of and that I like to see is to have a regular kiosk for regular attenders where they come by and they do their keychain uh, or they type in the last four digits of their phone number and they just come in and out real quick because they know the drill and they, they go through that. And then a separate desk or kiosk or uh, station that says first time kids guest check in and there's somebody right. friendly and confident and competent there that can greet you and say, hi, uh, I'd love to, I'd love to get you, uh, into our system and, and make sure your child is safe and protected and, uh, that nobody except you can check your child out and explain to them some of the safety precautions that you take to put them at ease. And let me jump in. I, I'm thinking about what our team does. If you're going to overstaff an area, that's probably an area you want extra people in, you know, as opposed to the 10 handshakes in the foyer on a Sunday morning, you would rather have a couple of extra people there. I've been to Chick-fil-A's. I've also been to other restaurants where, you know, the really good ones, if you've got a long drive through lineup, they'll come up and take your order before you get to the ordering window so that when you get there, you can just move right on through. Like that whole idea of moving people through. Good idea, bad idea? What do you think? I think that that's what I was referring to when I said bottleneck. You don't want to have a bottleneck. You've got to uh, get people as efficiently and effectively as you mm. can through, through the process. One of the things I've said for years with my volunteers and my lead team and my kids as a parent is the first is the worst. I've said this mm. over and over and over. The first is the worst. The first time you do anything, it's the worst time. The first time you sing a solo, the first time you audition my kids for a region band, the first time you walk into a church where it's the intimidating right. factor, the first time you register your kids into a system of a database of whatever church database you use, that first time is the worst and the hardest. And so whatever we can do to ease the pain, whatever we can do to make it as as streamlined as possible will help them get past that first is the worst time so that the next time you know you can say hey we've got it all taken care of the next time you come just type in the last four digits of your phone number and you'll be ready to go we'll print out your stickers and you can move right along and that's where personal touch is really helpful on the first time visit just to help people navigate that i uh i always say that um choosing who you put on a first impressions team or a children's ministry team is huge. Uh, it does not need to be an afterthought. It does not need to be a position that is looked down on. Well, this person can't sing well. They don't play an instrument. They're not a good small group leader. They're not a pastor. So let's just throw them on a greeter team. Right. You know, it's, it needs to be something that is our front line, very friendly, very competent, very welcoming people that take their role seriously because they realize 
what it was once like to be a guest and uh, having people uh, greet your kids. They should be passionate about children's ministry. Um, you you should you should love kids. It's, it mm. seems strange. It seems basic uh, to say, but I've seen it all. So <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would just say if you're point. serving in children's ministry, you should love kids and you should yeah. want to be there. And when you're greeting, you know, the kind of people who will crouch down and get to know their names and yes. view them at their eye level and, you know, in an entirely appropriate way. Okay, yes. so family ministry, we talked about that, clean, safe, and secure. Uh, and also the whole check-in process, no bottlenecks, people to help you navigate it, make it as easy and simple as possible. Knowing that you've got to capture all this data so that you get the right kid back to the right parent at the right time. Um, what else is a, a first-time guest looking for when they walk in the door? I think uh, I think less is more when it comes to guests, and by that I mean they they don't want to be overwhelmed. Mm. Um, I have walked into churches where when they greeted me, instead of saying "How may I help you?" or "Do you have a question?" or "Let me show you where the auditorium is," or "Let me show you how to check in your kids," I've been to churches where they hit me with a whole bunch of brochures and announcements and papers, and here's our directory of Sunday school classes, and I'm not looking for that as a guest. Yeah. And so I, I think less is more. I think uh, churches put too much uh, into bulletins and announcements, and um, you know, you could do a whole different podcast on announcements and, and what should be in it, or do you even need it, and all of that. I think we have to, because we're not even in the door of the auditorium. Pastors take note. We, this yeah. <laughs> is all about what happens long before anybody hears the first note of the band or the welcome or your message. And how much of a, of a first-time attender's mind is already made up before they even walk through the doors of an auditorium? They usually say, uh, this has been said by numerous people, not just myself, but within the first 10 minutes, they know whether or not they're coming back. Yeah, and uh, in the first and, 10 minutes, they're probably not in the room yet, and you certainly haven't started right. the service. Wow. Right. So they've, this is so critical. They may never get to hear the message. They may never get to hear the gospel because of the stuff that we've talked about. That's pretty sobering. It is. I mean, we, we have situations. I've done this. I don't know if you have, but I have walked into restaurants, sat down, ordered a water, looked around and walked back out. Yep. Um, there, there, are times, there are times where you look around and you think, this is going to be bad. I'm leaving. And who knows how many guests come into our our church buildings, and they look around and they think, uh, I'm backing out. I'm, I'm yeah. aborting. TripAdvisor, I've done that. You read a bad review. You know, you can do it even before you get there. But we pulled into the parking lot and pulled out. You know, it's like, nah, this isn't the right spot. Yep. That's really interesting, you know, because you think, well, this isn't spiritual at all. Actually, it's deeply spiritual because people may never encounter. And listen, God's grace is sovereign. I understand that. I'm not going to get into a big theological debate. But at the end of the day, as far as it depends on me, if those and and a lot of pastors, we, let's let's be honest. If you're a senior leader, we delegate that stuff. We don't even check in. We don't even think about it because we're so focused on a Sunday message that, quite honestly, a lot of people may never hear if we do those things poorly. Yeah, and Mark Mark Waltz from Granger Church uh, has said for years, people need to know how much they matter to us before they hear how much they matter to God. Yeah, and so I think I think that first ten minutes being critical of uh, let's let them know that we care. Let's let them know that we were prepared for them. You know, some of the best churches that I've worked with anticipate guests. Mm. Now that that sounds that sounds like a no brainer, but you would not believe how many people, how many churches and pastors and staffs and teams and volunteers just go through their Sunday motions. And it's like it has never crossed their mind that this is somebody's first time at our <laughs> church. Right outside our volunteer uh, gathering area on a Sunday morning is a big decal that says every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday. Just as Absolutely. a reminder to me as a preacher, as a reminder to everybody, hey, this may be your 175th Sunday. I know that. But every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday. And, you know, by the grace of God, I don't think I've preached for almost 20 years where there hasn't been a guest. But if you're not expecting guests, eventually you won't get them, right? Absolutely. Um, okay, so I think you got yourself invited back for a part two down the road. Craig, this is really good. I can't believe how detailed this is, but how hyper-practical. So we start in the parking lot. We get a really clean facility. You get people who ideally would walk you up. You maybe, you know, you don't smother people, but you don't ignore people. 
Um, you've got a really good, safe, secure check-in area. You've got people who can help you get through the bottlenecks. Uh, minimalism is better than trying to sell people before they even know whether they want to come back. Um, any thoughts on, and, and again, we'll do the five-minute take here and come back and, and do surgery later on. But uh, let's, let's think about any turn-on, turn-offs in the service. And then I got to hit on like, what do you give your first-time guests on the way out the door? And then I'll tell you what, we will do a part two at some point down the road. <laughs> we'll talk about follow-up. We'll talk about yeah. email. We'll talk about all that. But this is good on getting them in the door. There, yeah, and there is, you know, I could I could do a whole separate uh, podcast on what is the essential thing that you give them, and that is the communication card. If you don't gather their info, um, you you've missed the whole opportunity. And so, I think having a clear, concise connection card, communication card, information yeah. card, whatever you call it, that's the thing that they need to be given, not a bulletin with a hundred announcements. Hmm. That's overwhelming. But what they do need to have is a connection card that they can turn in. And like you said, they could turn it into a, a, a guest welcome at the end where they are, uh, where they meet the pastor, where they're given a gift or something like that. But you mentioned parking lot. And one of the things that I, I would like to mention, uh, just to put it on people's radar, is uh, accessible parking, uh, handicapped yes. parking, things like that. A lot of times people don't think about uh, people that are disabled, things like having a ramp to get into the church, handicapped stalls and bathrooms, um, accessible parking for vans, for cars, yeah. uh, wheelchair access, uh, that goes with being hospitable. You know, what does it say about us if we are not welcoming to people that have struggles that we can't relate to, struggles yeah. that we don't meet? And so, there's, there's a, and I have somebody I could recommend to you that could do a whole separate podcast because that's his area of expertise. That's Dr. Chester Goad, but okay. he, he does, uh, really in depth. He opened my eyes to, uh, things that a secret shopper should be looking for as far as accessibility yep. uh, for all people. Would you, uh, would, for reserve parking, would you add like, I've seen churches and we've done it at times, single mom parking or young families or new, well, young families would be a third of our parking lot. But anyway, um, <laughs> so much for that idea. Uh, but what about, um, you know, even first time guests, flash your lights or honk your horn or park here? Or what do you think about that? Or is that over the top? No, I like that. Uh, I think, you know, here I, I live in Charlotte and that's the base of Elevation Church, Stephen yeah. Furtick. They, they do first impressions like nobody else I've ever seen. Hmm. And uh, they have where you flash flash your lights, first-time guest parking, VIP parking. They they just knock it out of the park. Um, you get a free T-shirt. Uh, I have visited there numerous times. I have three different Elevation T-shirts. <laughs> uh, I, I just collect them. But um, uh, I think it's good. To, uh, now, it all, it, it all depends on the size of your church. If you're a church of 25 people, then you don't need to have, you know, flash, flash your lights if you're a first time guest, because um, the parking lot's not going to be that big. Right. But if you have a campus and you have like I've been to churches, I've served churches where they have parking decks right. and it is extremely confusing to get into the church. And so they had um, one church I worked with had three parking decks and one of them was for first time guests. And I, I drove into the other, one of the other oh. two that was not for first time guests. And I said, I missed the whole experience because, um, you need to have something for first time guests in each of them. I said, don't expect that they're going to know which parking deck to park into if they're a guest. But I think flashing your lights is great. I think having people, one of my pet peeves, and I have to touch on this. One of my pet peeves is parking lot attendants grouped up together talking to one another. Oh, yeah, basically having their morning coffee break. Yes, yeah. parking lot attendants need to be spread out across the parking lot, talking through a walkie-talkie system with earpieces in. They need to be spread out and using hand signals and walkie-talkies. But if I see them grouped up with three guys huddled together talking, that is the biggest turnoff. That is the biggest slap in the face to guests when you have your back turned to them and you're in yeah. deep conversation and you don't even notice them, 
I've seen it time and time again. Well, and I have that when I go into a store and I want a question answered and there's two or three employees who are talking to each other and you're standing there and they're annoyed that you're there. I'm like, yes. no, the reason I'm here is the reason you have a job. Like, right. I am your job. Your job is not to talk to each other about what happened Friday night or what you're doing tomorrow. Your job is to serve the customer. And I, I get very frustrated with that. So I totally right. understand that. Um, okay, well, Greg, this is this is like amazing. We're almost at the hour mark. So this is definitely, a, a, you're, you're going to come back at some point in the next year and we'll finish this conversation. You did hint at welcome card. I'm just going to ask you point blank. Do you have like a template for some of the essential things you should always get or never get that we could share with listeners? Do you have one that we could we could share with people by any chance or could we create one? Because I know that's what people would love. We mentioned the welcome card and what's essential. Yeah, I could get one created to get to you uh, for when this airs, you could have it downloadable. I, I did one for uh, Church Marketing Sucks and a Center for Church Communication, but it was for their paid membership site. So yeah. you, it's, it's not just easily to find, but I could create a different one um, for you. Like, for example, I like a little checkbox, one that says first time guest, one that says second time guest. And that's uh-huh. going off uh, that's going off of Nelson Searcy's book, Fusion. If we're not tracking second time guests, we have missed a huge, huge thing. Yeah. Again, going back to Charles Spurgeon book on the Holy Spirit and seeing God at work, if somebody has returned for a second time guest visit, that is huge. And that means they are intrigued. They are interested. You didn't scare them off the first time. Those are the people that we need to assimilate and, and focus on and follow up with those second time guests. I worked with even my own home church here. I was in a staff meeting and uh, they were coming up with new communication cards and they showed me the, the design for what they were going to get printed and it just said first time guests. And I said, you need to track second time guests. And they said, well, we don't track that. And I looked them dead in the eye and I said, you need to, mm. you need, you need to. Um, we need to know, uh, when I was on staff at Transformation Church uh, with Doran Gray, on their connection card, it said first time guests, second time guests, third time guests. And each group had different letters that got sent out depending yeah. on what, what type of guest you were. I also like to say, how did you hear about us? Facebook, social media, direct mail piece, friend invited me, drove by, saw the road sign, you know, different things that you can, you need to Mm -hmm. have metrics to know what's working. But um, at the same time, you don't want it to be a book. Yeah, yeah. You don't want a 17 page (laughs) card and, you know, so you got to keep it simple. Well, that would be great if you could do it. And I know that will be downloaded many, many times. And just to even give us the metrics, I mean, your graphic team or however you can design it according to your branding, but generally a a single sheet of paper, like a card stock that kind of fits into your hand that you can fill out pretty quickly. Um, we, we will create that, Greg, and I want to thank you. And I, I know listeners will be really anxious to get a hold of your new book too. So the final title for it, when it, we're recording this several months in advance, but it's called The Secrets of a Secret Chopper. That's right. That's cool. By Greg Atkinson. Now, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I want to say uh, the heart behind it, and I mean this as sincerely as I can say it, uh, I realized that most churches in North America are 200 people or less, yep. and they, they don't have the budget to bring in an outside consultant and to hire a secret shopper as much as they would like to. So I, I got together with Rainer Publishing, and I said, what if we create a book that tells people everything I look for so they can pay 10 bucks, get a book, and save you know all the money that it would take to fly in me and put me in a hotel and hire me to do this. So the heart behind it was to serve s- small church leaders. Love it. And, and allow them to be able to kind of secret shop their own church. You and I have a similar heart. That's why I'm producing more and more online resources because the vast majority of churches can't even afford to fly somebody in. And, and yet, you know, for a few dollars or a hundred bucks, you can get something into everybody's hand. Uh, if you're doing a course or something like that, that can just make a big difference. I love that. I love your heart. And I hope a lot of you go out and buy Greg's book. He is into really helping you guys. And uh, I think I think that's great. So we'll have that in the show notes, as well as a lot of the tips that we talked about today. And um, your book is available everywhere you can buy books, like Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. So right, great. Well, Greg, thank you. That was uh, that was amazing. And uh, I know that a lot of you will be sharing this information with your guest services team, with your staff. 
Uh, and uh, Greg, we're going to have you back in the next year and we'll take it up if we ever get in the auditorium. What the heck is that like? <laughs> and where do we go from there? And how do we Absolutely. follow up? Because this has been, uh, I've been taking notes, a lot of them as well. So thank you so much, Greg. You're welcome. I, I would just say in closing, uh, I think I think what you have at your church is amazing. And if every church leader that listens to this could create some type of sign that says every Sunday is somebody's first time Sunday and hang that in a green room or backstage or where volunteers gather or in your office before you go out to preach, that is key. And if, if I could wrap everything up, it's just being uh, ready and uh, acknowledging that every Sunday is first somebody's first time Sunday. Mm. And so uh, that's huge. Huge. I'm really proud of our team. They're committed to that at Connexus Church, and we have been for years, and they, they embody that every week. We don't always get it right. We make mistakes, but you know the heart is there, and uh, they're doing unbelievable things, so I'm really proud of our team for that. So, Greg, thank you so much, man. Really, you've built into so many leaders today, and I know you've helped a lot of churches reach more people, which is pretty close to my heart, too. Thanks, Greg. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Well, cool. And you're like, okay, what are the show notes again? Remember, Greg decided to do this. He decided to provide you with all the information that you need to collect from your first-time visitors. And you can find that in the show notes at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 132. And if you found this helpful, I would encourage you to let us know. Um, let us know by leaving a, a rating or review on iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Maybe share it with a friend, share it on social media. And I just want to say thank you to all of you who are doing this. The podcast continues to grow month after month. And uh, I just love helping leaders, and, and thanks for helping us do that. And thank you for your kind words and your encouragement. I promise you, I read every review, all your emails. You guys, you're the best. You really, really are. And just a reminder, head on over to RethinkLeadership.com if you haven't yet decided to join us in Atlanta at the end of April and TrainedUp.org if you are passionate about training and equipping the people that you recruit to ministry. Hey, we are back next week with a brand new episode. That's what happens when you subscribe is you don't even have to think about it. It just shows up on your phone automatically. And who have we got for you next week? Well, we got a fascinating guest. I mean, nobody talks leadership quite like Todd Atkins. And here's a snippet from next week's episode. You know, I, I think a really good question is this, Carrie, and that is, can I tell you, yes, I can tell you when I, I came to know Christ, can I tell you when I moved from being a doer to a developer? When did I have that experience? When did I have that conversion as a leader? I, I can, I mean, you know, I can go back and tell you. And I think a lot of times if somebody is a doer versus a developer, it's because they, ha they, haven't, they haven't had that transformative experience uh, that really shifts in there. They haven't been, we're not just called to be disciples. We're called to make, make disciples. disciples. And that's not yep. just us pastors. That's everybody. Mm -hmm. That's great commission. So next week, it's Todd Atkins on why most churches do a bad job at leadership development and how to turn that around. It's going to be a great episode. Again, if you subscribe for free, uh, you'll have it on your phone first thing Tuesday morning. And we got Warren Bird and Carl George coming up. Bob and Maria Goff are scheduled to be on the podcast. Uh, got a bit of a, an online series, mini-series, with Steve Fogg and Justin Dean coming up. Adam Weber, lots of other people coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun. And um, we will talk to you next Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. And I really hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.